Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855kHz on your AM dial. I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. Hi, I'm Bill, and each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase one of the recovery programs that assist those suffering directly or indirectly from addiction to drugs, alcohol, gambling and food. Our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. Today, my guest is Olivia, and she's a member of Smart Recovery Australia, and she'll be talking about how smart recovery, how the smart recovery approach has helped her with her recovery from a reliance on drugs. So welcome to the show, Olivia. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. In the show, we talk about recovery from compulsion and addiction and the events that influenced your life and how you found recovery and what it's like now. So do you want to start off talking about, you know, sort of growing up and family and things that uh, influenced you in your early life? Yeah, sure. So I guess for me, growing up, my parents split up when I was quite young. I was five years old. And that was mostly to do with my dad's reliance on alcohol. And so I guess that definitely impacted me, you know, being around a father that was struggling with alcoholism, even though I was quite young and obviously at that time I couldn't completely conceptualise what was going on. You know, I was aware that that something wasn't right and that, and that dad was unwell and sometimes he could be really great and be a really great father and he would be there for me and then I guess there was other times where he was quite unreliable and, and would let me down. I guess also being an only child, I didn't sort of have any any siblings to connect with. So it was just sort of, you know, my time was, was with mum, which was fantastic. My mum has always been there for me, very supportive, very stable. Although my time with dad was a bit of a mixed bag. So there was definitely some challenges with those dynamics growing up. And then when I was 14 years old, my dad very suddenly passed away and that was that was a direct result of, of his drinking. So he was only 50 years old and a, and a relapse on alcohol and, and a, a big day of drinking, um, which took its turn and, and he ended up falling and hitting his head and he had a brain aneurysm and very suddenly passed away. And I guess, you know, my world really changed that day that he passed away. And that was definitely the significant moment for me where I guess I started to lose myself. I really struggled to, to process that grief and that loss and just to, you know, try and maintain, you know, some sort of normality like at school, in friendship trying to move forward from that was was really difficult for me and I think that my response was just to shut down and you know I just I just shut down and I just didn't want to deal with it because it was just it was just too difficult and I definitely think that my age was was a factor within that um you know those teenage years there's there's so much going on and then to try to cope with a parent passing away was just extremely difficult to navigate yeah what about your mum was she a help absolutely absolutely you know my mum is my rock and she always has been and she did absolutely everything that she could through that difficult period to support me she took me to doctors she took me to private psychologists she took me to all these different avenues to, to try to help me process and, and go through, you know, that natural grieving process. But I just wasn't receptive. 
and I just I wasn't ready to talk about it and then I guess when I started experimenting like most teenagers do you know with alcohol and and I guess you know party drugs if you if you want to call them that provided me with a great sense of relief and I just started falling into quite destructive patterns kind of seeking out the wrong crowds of people to to hang out with. So were your friends concerned for you? Yeah, I mean, most definitely. I did have some really good friends in high school. You know, I went to a great school that I actually got a ballet scholarship to. So I was going to an all-girls private school, really good education. I had a great group of friends there. And they were deeply concerned, but I think at the same time, you know, we're, we're all 14-year-olds going through teenage years and, and there was only so much that they could do, you know, they didn't understand. And so they could only, you know, provide me with what they were able to. And I just slowly drifted away from those friendships and started seeking out, you know, the, the wrong crowds of people. Mm. So did that impact your schooling? It did. It definitely did. I managed to, mostly with the support of some fabulous teachers and a really supportive principal, I did manage to complete my Year 12 exams. You know, the plan for me was always to get into uni and to pursue university. And I managed to get through those year 12 exams, but, you know, only just sort of scraping through. You know, my head was not there. I was not diligently studying or anything. I was really, I was really just winging it. You know, I was really quite lost and and just winging it at the time. Yeah, right. So did you manage to get to uni? I did. What was that like? Yeah, I mean, it was... It was interesting because I guess, you know, I was, again, just sort of going through the motions. My head wasn't there, but I still had those beliefs and values that this is what I wanted to do. You know, I, I, I always wanted to go to uni. So, so here I am and I'm going to uni. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I'd really sort of lost that sense of purpose and, and drive. So I started off doing a primary education degree and I did a year of that, really didn't enjoy it all that much, but I was doing some psych electives. And I think from the experiences I had with my dad growing up, I was definitely curious as to what was going on for him. You know, why was he choosing to do the things that he did? You know, why, why did he continue to go back to the alcohol when there was so much evidence that it wasn't working for him? And so that definitely planted a seed. And so I started doing these psychoelectives and I really liked it. So I dropped the primary education degree after a year and I enrolled in psych. And I, I did my first year of psych. But unfortunately, my substance uh, use was significantly increasing at the same time and it was starting to get more and more unmanageable which left me deferring from uni after my first year of sight. Yeah so uni is often a time when people use drugs and alcohol a lot. Yeah. So was that the scene for you at uni? Look, I think that at that point in time, like, yes, there's definitely a big drinking culture and, you know, doing party drugs um, when people first get to uni. But I think that I had already sort of sustained this group of friends, if you want to call it, that were very much the wrong crowd. So I kind of already had that established outside of uni. And so I was just continuing to be drawn back into using with that crowd of people that was actually outside of of university. Yeah, okay. So after you dropped out then, what was life like for you? Pretty horrendous, really. I became completely 
addicted to methamphetamine. Leading up to that, you know, I was, I didn't have a preference. I was definitely, you know, a, a poly substance user. And then I got introduced to methamphetamine and that was really when my life took a real turn for the worst, you know, becoming aware that I was really quite reliant on a substance was distressing. However, I was still quite ignorant and, and unaware, I guess, to the, to the full extent of that. And I was just sort of operating on, you know, an, an autopilot and it was provi providing me with, I guess, relief from my reality and from things that I just didn't want to deal with. And I just ran with it. You know, I completely lost touch with my good friends from high school, my relationship with my mum, that was always very strong and close was becoming more and more dysfunctional. Yeah. So your mum was obviously concerned about you. Yeah. So how did she try and help? She tried to help me in a, in a lot of ways. And I guess the first time that she made a real considerate effort to get me help for substance abuse, because, of course, you know, there was a lot of me lying and hiding it and, leaving the house and coming back a week later and, and all of that real sort of deceptive, manipulative behaviour was coming out. She was aware that, that I had a problem with drugs, but I wasn't willing to acknowledge that to her. And then she called up a private hospital here in WA and she actually got me in to see a psychiatrist that then admitted me to the private hospital. So did you do rehab then? I wouldn't call it rehab. It was more a detox facility. So they would typically have you for four weeks and you would detox, you would be under a psychiatrist and there would be sort of group therapy run by psychs in the day. But that was as far as it went. So what was the result of that? The result was that it didn't really do that much for me, <laughs> to, to be honest. And that's not unusual. No. In real terms, yeah. Yeah. No, it really didn't, you know. I would go in there, you know, the psychiatrist would put me on all these different sorts of medication and I was really quite zonked out and, you know, I wasn't paying attention. And uh, if I'm completely honest, I also wasn't ready to change. I wasn't ready to change. And four weeks is also, I found for me, it wasn't enough time to give me that distance from my behaviour, from my substance abuse patterns, for me to have that clarity or awareness to, to be in a position to try and make some better decisions and I think that the you know the other main factor was it was very much my mum's influence as to why I was there you know I didn't make those calls to go hey I want some help can I please come to this facility I was very much doing it to I guess please my mum and I just wasn't ready and you know unfortunately all the other individuals that I came across in in those sorts of facilities, those sort of private hospital settings, very, very short stay times, none of them were really ready to change either. So that also didn't help because we would just all bounce off each other <laughs> and, you know, influence one another to make some more poor decisions. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, we might take a short break. Uh, this week we've got some new music by the Kindly Ravens who kindly contacted us and told us about their song. So here's their uh, new release single, Bittersweet Lie, and courtesy of Australian Music Radio Airplay Project. Seasons come and seasons go Rivers run and water flows I love you but you don't know 
December the 2nd, join the Rally for All Life and Habitat, led by Blinky the Spectacular Smoking Koala. Bring your banner for this family-friendly, non-arrestable action, co-hosted by Extinction Rebellion and community groups. Business as usual logs state forests, driving extinction and climate collapse. Healthy ecosystems are vital for sustaining all life, so we demand urgent, strong forest protection now. See you 5.30pm Thursday, 2nd of December at Melbourne Museum. A 3CR supporter. Salam Habibi. Salam Habibi. This is Marushti and Lukman from Salam Radio Show. Tune in on Sundays from 4 till 5 p.m. on 3CR for some modern Arabic mazika. Salam Radio Show will be bringing you every week a surge of new, modern and reinterpreted sounds of Arabic mazika ranging from trap, rap, hip-hop, pop, R&B, experimental, ambient and electronic music. Yalla habaybna. Shunatrin. Join us every Sunday on Salam Radio Show. Mainstreaming Arabic mazika. You're listening to the Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you're interested in listening to one of our many podcasts, then you can head to your preferred podcast platform 
or just Google 3CR Living Free. On our webpage, you'll also find details about the Living Free show and how you can contact us. Today, I'm talking with Olivia about her recovery with the help of Smart Recovery Australia. So before the break, uh, we were talking about you'd just been through a, a short detox session that didn't really have much impact. So what happened at the end of that? What was life like? So life was very much as it was before I sought treatment or probably my mum supported me in getting treatment, except things were getting much worse. My life was becoming more and more dysfunctional. I was falling into much worse crowds and I was in a pretty dark place. I was, I was making worse decisions, which, you know, landed me in, in trouble with the law. And I guess that was in some ways a turning point for me. But I think more so it was the fact that I was just becoming more and more self-destructive and my my reliance on on substances for me specifically methamphetamine was just becoming you know more and more dangerous i was mixing it with with other drugs and you know that that led to several overdoses and and finding myself you know in in hospital and i guess you know waking up to my mum being there and, and her, her mental state and just, you know, that feeling that I guess you would have as a parent just being completely helpless, that, that your child is just completely self-destructing and, yeah, it was, it was definitely a difficult time. Yeah. So did she seek help for herself to deal with it? She did. She did. So she did start seeing a psychologist. And she actually ended up doing some sort of stay-in programs to support her because her mental health was really declining, which was leading to her, you know, needing to take time off work and she wasn't able to function. She never knew where I was. She couldn't get a hold of me, you know, me constantly ending up in hospital was just really distressing for her. And she ran out of options and, and ways to try and support me. So, yeah, she did. She ended up seeking help from a, from a psychologist and also did some, um, some stay-in programs just to, I guess, support her. Yeah. So how did things change for you? What was the trigger for you to start looking for help? I think that the trigger for me was definitely some some traumatic events occurring that I guess really woke me up to the fact that you know if I continue putting myself in these really high risk situations and living how how I am you know there's the chance that that this may happen again or that I may you know overdose and 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 die because that was my way of of coping with what had occurred. And after that event occurred, you know, my my using increased again, leading to more hospitalisations. And it was just the wake-up call for me, it was just that sense of, you know, I'm in real trouble here. I completely lost sense of who I was, my identity, I could see that my mum was just so unwell and I just I just didn't I just didn't want to be the person that I'd become anymore. I just I didn't want to be that person and it was it was it was almost like, you know, the the pain of of staying the same was more than what the pain of changing would be. So even though the thought of having to try to pick myself up and get clean 
and process everything that had happened and and occurred over the years of my using, I was almost like, that's got to be better than where I'm at now. Because I could only see my life ending up, you know, um, in a a handful of ways. And that probably would have been, you know, prison, further trauma or, or death, really. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, it's not a good outlook, is it? Really? No, no. So, what what did you do? What what action did you take to to improve the situation? Yeah. So the action for me was was residential rehab. You know, I had done several sort of detox stints, and I was more than aware that that wasn't sustainable for me. So doing a long-term residential rehab was the next step that I took and I did stick that out for six months. And I guess for some people they may think, you know, gosh, six months, that's that's a long time. Um, And I have to say that when I entered into that process, you know, I didn't think that I was going to do six months either, you know. I I was hoping that it would just be a quick fix and I'd be and I'd be good to go. But that wasn't the case. I really needed six months to to stabilize and to have that time, you know, to heal and, and to process and to and to have some solid plans of how how to change my life, how to change the direction of my life. Yeah. So what did the rehab consist of? So the rehab was where I was introduced to Smart Recovery. Did you did you find any other programs before Smart Recovery? Yes. So I was also then introduced to NA during that program. And that was good. That was definitely helpful. But there was a sense of rigidness with the with the NA sort of 12-step fellowship. That didn't didn't completely sit right with me. However, you know, it was definitely helpful, particularly in those early stages. It was an outlet that that I utilized. And I think that it did it did help me get a real clear picture of my using cycle and, and the consequences involved involved with that that relapse cycle and also you know that identification with other people that were sharing you know very similar sort of stories that had been in similar places and had been able to get some uh, substantial distance from from using and so that was also really really hopeful for me to hear yeah and that sort of complemented the other aspects of the program you know counseling and and group therapy and and planning, yeah. Yeah, yeah. all those things to look forward to. I guess the, the thing about recovery is it, it gives you hope. So did you get that feeling of hope that things could improve? Yeah, most definitely I did. You know, not overnight. I would say for me it took about three months for me to be able to have some hope, to have that sense that, that I still, you know, I still have the potential to, to turn myself around and particularly, you know, reconnecting with my mum. She, she was a fantastic and, and still is a fantastic support for me and, you know, and her support really meant the world for me. I think that's such a, you know, important aspect of recovery, having positive supports in your life. But I really had to come to terms with that I needed to leave everything related to substances behind me and I really had to start again. It was just sort of like wiping the slate clean, just a fresh canvas, and I just needed to start again. And that was daunting, but I think also exciting. Yeah, because being a drug user, I guess excitement was an important part. So the Absolutely. I guess the, the view of looking forward to something that would be a challenge without the drugs, yeah. Yeah. So how did your life start changing? What were the things that you remember? I guess what I remember was, you know, reintegrating back into some sort of employment 
So, you know, just, just getting, getting some work again, um, having that structure, you know, getting back into, into sort of hobbies and, and interests. Did you have any trouble with friendships? I did. I definitely did. And I guess the, the key struggle for me was being really lonely in early recovery because I knew that I had to cut ties with everyone that, that I was spending my time with. And so it was quite lonely in the early days. And I really had to put myself out there a bit to try and uh, create some friendships, which, which, which I did do, you know, through hobbies. And, and for me, that was, that was getting back into dancing and, and meeting, meeting friends there work you know just just having to sort of put myself out there a bit but it, it was you know it, it was challenging and it can feel quite awkward to to be putting yourself out there but what I found was really interesting is that you know people um become quite isolated for lots of different reasons and have to sort of start again you know I was meeting people that had just got out of long-term relationships and so they were in a similar boat, quite lonely and isolated and having to start again. Or I came across people that had just moved to Australia. So I guess that was sort of comforting and it sort of challenged that thought that I'm the only one, you know, I'm the only one that's lonely and having to start again. And yeah. Yeah, that's a eternal uniqueness, isn't it? That's uh, Yeah. <laughs> that feeling of being so isolated, so unique. Yeah. Yeah. So what caused you then to start looking for something like Smart Recovery? For me, it was, and with no disrespect to 12-step to programs, because I, you know, I think that recovery is a very individual journey and what works for one person won't necessarily work for another. But as I was growing and maturing in my recovery, the 12-step program was, I felt that it wasn't growing with me and I was kind of sick of revisiting the past, you know. I felt like I was in a position where I had a really clear idea of my patterns, of my of my using and, and relapse cycle, and I no longer wanted to be consumed by talking about what life was like when I was using. And what I liked about SMART was that it was very much in the present, so it was in the here and now, you know, what's, what's been going on very recently and what could I put in place to make improvements just in the short term. So how were you introduced to SMART? It was in the residential rehab okay. that, that I attended. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So were you able to do face-to-face -face meetings? Yeah. Yeah, I was. And, and they were good. Yeah. So how did you find the difference between a 12-step program and uh, SMART? What was, the, what was the defining difference for you? you? You've mentioned this ability to concentrate on the present. Yeah. But was there anything else that uh, I guess you enjoyed? I guess it was the, the religious aspect was sort of removed. Yeah. And, you know, and it's not that, it's not that I think that I'm, you know, for religion or, or against it. It's not that. I just thought that smart recovery was more flexible and that I was able to, to be more myself and to be my authentic self, you know, and I think recovery for me was definitely a, a journey of self-discovery. You know, I was working out who I, who I was again and, and what I liked and what I disliked and, and although the 12-step fellowship served a purpose in those early days, as I mentioned, as I grew and matured, SMART really fit in with my values and, and my beliefs. I liked, you know, that CBT aspect, you know, really looking at the relationship between my thoughts, my feelings and my actions and just that goal setting, you know, that sense of achievement at the end of each week that I've accomplished something versus 12-step fellowships, there is no goal setting, you know. So it's sort of like what direction is this going in, you know. I liked the layout that SMART provided. So more structure, I guess. 
definitely more structure, more structure, more direction. And, and that was where I was at, you know, I was, I was healthy, I was well, you know, um, prior to drugs, I was, you know, quite goal driven, you know, um, and I really valued having goals and having aspirations. And I, I finally found that again, you know, and there was things that I wanted to do and things I wanted to achieve. Smart really helped me facilitate those things. Yep. Okay. Thanks. Well, listen, we'll take another short break. Oh, I love is silver and gold. We keep it polished so it doesn't look old. Put it in a box tied up with a bow. Oh, second song was again by the kindly ravens uh, it was their debut single silver and gold uh, courtesy of australian music radio airplay project tune in to grounding disability justice 3cr's international day of people with disability broadcast 
on 3rd of December, 7am to 7pm, we're making space to explore what disability justice has been and will be on these lands, with programming led by Black and Indigenous community members, in addition to programs by disabled broadcasters from the 3CR community. Visit 3cr.org.au forward slash Disability Day 2021. Merhaba. Bugün nasılsınız? A Turkish eco-feminist approach to dismantle the toxic misconception of the good immigrant. Intrigued? Well, so are we. The good immigrant is broadcasted in Turkish every Thursday between 6.30pm to 7pm. Tell your friends and family because you have a date with Özesu and Özgü. 3CR, 8.55am, Thursdays, 6.30pm to 7pm. See you all then. This is Living Free on 3CR Digital and live streaming on 3cr.org.au. And today I'm talking with Olivia and we're talking about her recovery and how Smart Recovery Australia has helped her. So Olivia, before the break, we were talking about the things that Smart offered you, uh, offered you a more more structure and more direction in your life. So do you want to talk a bit about how Smart Meetings work? Yeah, yeah, sure. So I guess you know when when you're going to a to a smart meeting you can you can sort of expect a relatively small group of of individuals meeting there it can often range between maybe 4 to 7 people so that can be quite nice too and and then you're sort of invited to to think about how the last week has been for you if there's been any sort of concerns or struggles in that week that have cropped up for you and how you went sort of achieving the goal that you set for yourself in that week and, and if you were successful in that or if there was, you know, any any obstacles in in meeting that. And, you know, I guess, I guess within that you'll find that there's people at all different stages of their journey too, you know. Some may just be identifying that there's there's a behaviour that they, they want to address and, and some maybe have, have been quite a regular participant and then you're you're invited to set a goal for the for the next week and a format is I guess used to to assist with that um, so you've got the best chance of of achieving that and so that that helps you make sure it's quite specific that you can you can monitor that goal throughout the week that you haven't sort of set the bar too high and you can achieve it and that it's just for seven days doesn't need to be, you know, any more long-term than that. And then there's sort of the opportunity to, I guess, get feedback from, from other group members. You know, sometimes you or someone else might be really stuck and just have no idea what to what to put in place. And that can be really nice too, you know, to get feedback from others, what's been helpful for them. It's like it can be just, you know, a big brainstorm opportunity uh, the other difference is that people in uh, smart recovery aren't necessarily don't necessarily have the same problem. Yes. Or, or same addiction. Yeah. How worthwhile is that? I think it's great. You know, I really, I really think it's great. I think that there is this misconception that addiction is limited to alcohol and drugs, and it's just not the case. You know, there are, there are many behavioural addictions and even outside of that scope, there are, there are lots of things that one can get addicted to, pretty much anything. You know, I've, I've came across people that have been trying to address behaviours around shopping, around sugar, work. So you can really, you can bring anything to the table and know that there's going to be no judgment there and that it's going to be welcomed and that, you know, that's yours, you know. 
Yeah. Do you find many people come in who haven't tried other approaches before? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I often see um, and come across people that, that have tried lots of different things. You know, they, they've also tried tried 12-step meetings. You know, they've, they've tried other forms of, of group therapy. I think the, the, the main one that I see is, is people that have, that have tried, you know, 12-step fellowships. And, and I think for, for whatever reason, it, it, hasn't, it hasn't worked for them. And I also wonder if I, I factor in that is because it is limited to just drugs and alcohol, you know, and, and, and as we know, there's, there's a variety of things that, that can become problems. So I think that SMART really widens that scope. Yeah, there, there are a, a lot of other fellowships out there in, in real terms. Um, I, on the show last week, we had um, somebody who talked about being in Under Earners Anonymous. Oh, wow. Which is a group of people who meet to, to talk about not living up to their potential. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That sounds cool. And there's another one called Debtors Anonymous as well, about people who get into debt a lot and trying to oh my gosh. stop that repeated pattern. So, yeah, there's, there, there, is a lot, there is a lot out there. But I, I guess the, the thing about SMART is that it brings all those people together. Okay. So potentially it doesn't matter what your problem is, if it's a behavioural problem, yeah. then SMART can help you to address that behaviour behavior issue. Yeah. So what, what were the things that you noticed, you know, having started at SMART that you were able to, I guess, get on top of? What were the early wins for you? I think the early wins for me was definitely, you know, time management, you know, organisation, just getting that clear sort of routine and structure which can sound like quite sort of, you know, simple things. But for me, that, that builds a really strong foundation. The thing is, they are simple things to some people. Yeah. But that's, that's the issue, that yeah. it's specifically difficult for you. Yeah. And therefore, it's something you need to concentrate on. Yeah. 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 So once you've been in SMART for a while... In 12-step, there's a sort of a sponsorship thing. So do individuals help each other? Is, it, is that sort of structure built in or is it a different structure in SMART? You know, I think that I think that it's a different structure in SMART, but there is still definitely that opportunity to, to get support and feedback, you know, from others in the group and also the person facilitating the group which will have, you know, that experience, not just in facilitating, but having lived experience themselves. So there's, there's definitely the opportunity to. It's just structured differently. Okay. So we're talking about facilitating then. So what was the value of the facilitator of your meeting for you? Yeah, for me, I think that it was, again, that hope you know, that, that hope that, that there is the realistic opportunity to sustain change, you know, that, that, that goals can very much be attained and achieved. And I guess just the, the direction and the support and the feedback that they provided, I found was always really helpful. And I guess... If you go to the same meeting, then they see you change and can, yeah. I guess, help you understand that you have changed. Exactly. Because often it's difficult to notice the change yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I think that, you know, we're, we're with ourselves every day and it can it can be really difficult to to notice when, when we are changing. So to have that that affirmed by someone that we've built that rapport with, that's seeing us each week. Yeah, it's it's really helpful. Mm. So did they encourage you to get involved yourself? In terms of facilitation? Yeah. Yeah. So I guess I was sort of asked to by my employer 
if it would be if it would be something that I would I would be interested in and I thought yeah of course you know um how fantastic to be able to give back and and that's been that's been fantastic you know I'm now facilitating not just in the in the rehab that I work at but also nationally online which um which allows you know individuals from all over Australia to zoom in and and join a join a smart group you know particularly with the pandemic I think having having that that group online was really helpful for lots of individuals Mm. yeah I think a lot of people have benefited from the from having lockdowns and forcing people online I think it's broadened all communities yeah in that way yeah absolutely yeah Uh, you mentioned your employer and working in a rehab so do you want to talk about any of that work that you do and sort of using your experience how you help people going through rehab yeah absolutely you know I think I think the the rehab process is is quite dear to my heart because because I did go go through it myself and I guess to now be on the other end of that and to and to be a staff member instead of a client I think it has provided me with some really valuable insights that I see you know help the individuals seeking treatment I really see it in terms of my ability to establish those sort of relationships and and that understanding because I you know often will see them exhibiting behaviors that that I know that I was exhibiting um, in the early days of, of of my recovery and I think that you know what an amazing opportunity to be able to work in a field help helping individuals you know make those changes you know and seeing seeing them come in really quite quite down and and broken just like I was and to then you know stabilize and 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 regain that sense of self and that you know no I I do deserve more than this and and to see them make those changes and grow is just such a such a privilege Mm. and I guess for people who who are addicts at present being able to see somebody who was an addict who is, you know, okay now yeah, must be a good feeling as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. So is there anything in your work that causes you to, to sort of reflect on your own journey or recovery when you see people come in that will like you? Do you, does, do you often reflect back on the way you were? Yeah, 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 I I really do. And I think for me what constantly comes to mind is just you don't know what you don't know and until you learn how to identify things within you and to gauge that awareness you know, you're, you're not in a you're not in a position to make changes. And I think what's what's equally and probably more important is being motivated to want to make change. You know, because yeah. that's the if someone is not ready to change, unfortunately, they won't. <laughs> so that's a harsh reality, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It really is. And and I know that 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 might sound harsh, but I really believe that to be true. You know. I had, I had lots of opportunities to change in the early days before I went to residential rehab, but I just simply wasn't ready. I just wasn't ready. When I was, things fell into place, you know, and it's, and it's not easy. It was, it was difficult, but, yeah, it's... Um, is that a hard message to get across to people that if they're not ready, then really they're wasting their time? Is that something you can do? I don't often say it like that, but I think that, you know, it's it's easy to pick up on, you know, when you get someone that is is quite resistant to support, to, you know, to options, to alternatives, to feedback, and you're sort of up against 
justifications, excuses, you know, there's only so much that you can do with resistance. Yeah. Um, you can't do the work for someone else. You can give them all the options laid out, but unless they're willing to meet you halfway, it's just not going to work, unfortunately. Yeah. That's a harsh reality, isn't it? Yeah. 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 So you mentioned that your relationship with your mum had improved. So what's it like now? Oh, gosh, it's amazing now. Yeah, it, it really is. It really is amazing. You know, me and my mum are, are closer than ever. And it's so wonderful to see my mum happy again and, and living her life and enjoying her life because, you know, again, the harsh reality was that I was too self-absorbed when I was using to, to, to recognise the true pain and suffering that she was going through. However, now with the distance that I have, you know, I really value my mum's happiness and everything that she's worked so hard for to achieve in life and, and to provide for me. You know, it's just fantastic just to actually be able to be there for her and to, and to just have a, a really great, great relationship mm. again. Yeah, it's really good, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. If anybody listening would like to find out more about Smart Recovery Australia, uh, you can visit smartrecoveryaustralia.com.au for details of their meetings and contact information, or you can call them directly in Sydney, 02-9373-5100. That's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Olivia, who's a member of Smart Recovery Australia, for joining us and sharing her lived experience. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be talking about recovery from the family disease of alcoholism and be joined by a member of LRM Family Groups. Uh, thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay tuned now for more Radical Radio on 3CR. And to take us out today, we have I Don't Look Good on Paper by Raising Ravens. Uh, no relationship to the kindly ravens. Uh, just the same thing. So enjoy.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.